Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? The only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. This is Michael Mann, and I ride with extended clip. Speaking of uh, the king of Manhattan himself, oh, Alec he got, Baldwin. He gave his fi- top five Woody Allen films. <laughs> to a Woody Allen fan account that's running it as a paid promotion for... So- I don't know how it works, but yesterday I was invited by that channel to join their uh, Woody Allen um, like Instagram pyramid DM scheme. channel. <laughs> yes, literally. <laughs> like It is a pyramid scheme, and I think Alec Baldwin is at the top of it. <laughs> Uh, because he's like the initial drop. You, you gotta know? sign up like ten people to yeah. give their top five Woody Allen movies, and then you have a back stock of Woody Allen movies in your garage that you can never quite unload on your suburban neighbors. And it's really unfortunate because it seems that this Woody Allen fan account and Alec Baldwin have copied my exact business plan for the extended clip Patreon. Oh of shit! Getting uh, everyone to tell their friends to drop their top five Woody Allen movies. What are your top five Woodies? Oh, Let's all give our top five Woodies. That's a great way to start. Think, Nick, do you want to say something? You're on. The New York team is here. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'll, I'll go into it in an okay. introduction. This is like cold open mode. It's like a, okay. we're going SNL cold open, political satire to start, mugging into camera. I'm Biden. You know, you're Kamala. Kamala. What's the PC way to say it? I think I don't think I think it's uh, Car- uh, Carmella. <laughs> yeah, something. Like, yeah, and you're a freaking bitch, McConnell over here, <laughs> bitch. I was kind of going for a Matt Gates, <laughs> yeah, Matt Gates, or a George Santos. Oh, yeah. I would. I'd like to be George Santos, actually. If anything, I'd like to be Peter Sotos. Yeah, just sound alikes. You oh, know? nope, <laughs> no. I just realized who that is. No, I just remembered. <laughs> So back to the topic of the cold open, uh, guest number one, who I'll give a proper intro to later. What, what Off the dome, what would you say your top five Woodies are? Well, it's funny because I'm actually right now in a pattern of watching the last Woodies I haven't seen, of which there's somehow like 20. It's impossible to see every single there's one of so his movies. Many. There's so many. It's, you watch four of them and then three just pop up from you know 1976 or something just this week i watched melinda and melinda Mm. and if we're eddie you were wondering about discussion topics i think the distinction between comedy and tragedy could be a great discussion just an everlasting yeah uh, everlasting theme throughout mr allen's work you know Uh, the intersection of course of comedy and tragedy because you know the guy might have liked the marx brothers but he liked bergman too yeah that's right i don't know if i don't know if you knew this about uh Woody Allen, but Ing- Ingmar Bergman is his favorite filmmaker. I don't know if you knew that. He likes Bergman so much that in Manhattan he says the line, if she talks about Bergman one more time, I'm going to sock her one, which is <laughs> everyone's favorite joke from that movie, of course. Yeah, of course, of course. And at the end of Rifkin's Festival, Mort Rifkin plays chess with death. I don't think I don't think I'll ever see Rifkin. Played I by Christoph see. Waltz. <laughs> Wait, really? Yeah. Oh yeah Christoph God. Waltz in a Woody movie. It's pretty yeah. awesome. I, uh, I I think mean, you you can fight it all you want, but one of these days you're gonna have a film debuting at the San Sebastian Film Festival, and it's gonna be like you know 
doing the Hajj, going to Mecca and not being Muslim. You know, it's like yeah. you have to be a Rifkin head to go to the San Sebastian Film Festival after a certain point. In time. Well, if if I have if I if that ever happens, I will watch Rifkin's Festival because I think it's really funny to not ever watch Rifkin's Festival. It's just very funny to me. And much like not watching Mank is funny to me and strangely licorice pizza, which I've also never seen. That's the best one because you would like it, but I love that you haven't seen it. You just like, I remember one of our friends was in town when it came out and uh, he was like, oh, I'm going to go see licorice pizza with Hessa. And then that fell through. And then it was just a joke that you were just never going to see the movie anyway. Yeah. Even though it's like, you like The Master, right? You like Inherent Vice. Oh, The Master is one of my favorite movies. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. I love Inherent Vice. I love Paul. Th- In fact, I had a dream last night that Paul Thomas Anderson died. And I was like despondent. And I was talking to people. Yeah, in thank my God life. it was only Terrence Davies. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> well, I watched my first Terrence Davies today. Look, we've had a lot of fun here already, but there's nothing funny about being British. Terrence Davies did die today, and it is genuinely sad. Like, uh, we, we, we like to keep it light on this show, but it's like if we're talking about film stuff in the in the atmosphere, there is a palpable sense of sadness. It's like uh, just like, you know, I guess there's other stuff going on today, obviously, but I've curated my timeline with enough mutes to where like the real news of, the, of today's Terrence Davies uh, and some college football stuff. Uh, and like, I don't know, he's, he's a guy who made films about looking back. So both like joyously and depressingly. And so to look back on a filmography that feels incomplete and has such incredible shining moments and know that it never got there is, uh, you know, it's tragically fitting for a guy like that. It it really speaks to the, uh, the sad state of the filmmaking industry. And a guy whose films are kind of builds upon the idea that being born British is a terrible oh, hand to a One of the dealt. worst fates. Yeah. Possible. I've only seen the one movie. Oh, you should check out like the ones in 50s Liverpool. It's insane. Like, uh, I mean, uh, Sean told me today, Sunset, what's it called? Sunset Song's a recent yeah. one that's also apparently great. I actually haven't gotten to seen, see that one. You've seen Sunset Song, right? I actually haven't. That's one of like three that I haven't seen. Um, but yeah, like, uh, distant lives, still voice, still voices or distant voices, still lives. Sorry. Um, that one is incredible. It's like Hong Sang Su ass title. Exactly. Uh, if you like the scenes in either like the Ozu movies where guys are just drunk and singing or like John Ford movies where guys are doing like that, just imagine it's like Liverpool before they knew what rock music was. And uh, it's really depressing, but really like the best drunk song movie uh, I can think of probably other than like the two aforementioned directors. You know your top five Woodies? Well, I will say also quickly, I will answer that question. Yes. I did realize, this is weird, I think the interview that I did with Terrence Davies three weeks ago is the last interview he ever did. Oh my God. Which is sort of a weird realization. And I thought it was a nice chat. It was over email. And I was also sort of aware of the fact that like he's old and probably doesn't want to sit at a computer. So I didn't ask that many questions. It was also for a short film he made that's like 
a hundred seconds long, literally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I looked back at it and I was like, like a TikTok he made. Oh, basically, yes. Yeah. It's one of those things where it kind of starts with like his face close to the camera, and then he backs up and says, "Okay, so here to tell you about." That's <laughs> what I assume all drama, TikToks are. This YouTube yeah. drama. But I look back at it and I'm thinking, like, I you couldn't have known, but I'm like, oh wow, this is not like uh, it's not like the Beatles ending with the Abbey Road medley or something. It, it's it's a rather you know quick conclusion, but you are talking to you know essentially the last interlocutor for mr davies yeah so any questions maybe i can communicate with him spiritually well people forget the beatles ended with her majesty the hidden track which is only like 15 seconds long yeah that's true it's about how much they love the queen (laughs) same with victoria by the kinks yeah yeah uh, especially when the fall covered it they were like we just fucking love that girl (laughs) (laughs) we love that we love that cunt a beautiful proper cunt I am. I don't think you know what's funny is they're they're so artistic opposites, but you know I really do think that Terrence Davies and Marky Smith of the Fall are two of the people who hate being British more than anyone in history. Like they yeah. hate England and being British so much more than anyone from America that hates Britain. It's awesome. Yeah, I'm trying to think. There's definitely someone from recent of recent memory that I can think of that also hates it. Oh, J.K. Rowling. Oh, well, no, she... (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking of. You're right. Yeah. Um, No, I'll probably... Top five Woodies? Top five Woodies. I'm looking at Letterboxd. I mean, I'll say this. With the caveat that some of these I haven't seen in more than a decade or 15 years even, I'll kind of give a a sterling set place to Annie Hall, which I think our friend Will Sloan summed up very well in Letterboxd by saying... A movie so good that even 40 years and one pedophilia allegation later, (laughs) its director was still able to persuade Timothy Chalamet to cast his lot with him in the quixotic hope of recapturing even a fraction of its magic. (laughs) And if you watch even two scenes from it, you go, yeah, you know, somebody's got to try to get that energy. Yeah. It's really too special. I did recently rewatch a huge chunk of Crimes and Misdemeanors, which is maybe the only one that when I watch it, I feel like I'm watching one of the best movies ever. Mm Mm-hmm. Love the guy, but I'm not, I don't think he's necessarily a guy who like, how many films of his are necessarily themselves standalone pantheon? Maybe not so mm-hmm. many. Crimes and Misdemeanors is one though where everything's working, everything's working overtime. It's the fact that he has like 15 movies that are like great, yeah. you know, yeah. exactly. and then like two or three that are all timers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then there's like 20 where you're, you just go, I'm glad I'm watching this. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. The, the old timey jazz, like before they started doing solos, uh, playing over the, yeah. the credits every time is just like, it's a warm bath, you know? Of the ones I've seen, there really aren't that many like that I watch and I'm like, this is bad. Yeah. Even like the ones that are very famously like like Hollywood ending, I watched that and I'm like, this isn't that bad. What is everyone talking? About? I like it was a uh, the Hollywood ending one. Like w- when I realized, I might have watched it true... really young. I guess well, like... when I realized the true conceit of the movie, I clicked pause and I was like, oh, there's an out. Ou- there's gonna be a full hour of him doing the blind <laughs> thing, and I was just not ready for it. But it, you know what? It's I, I can't say it's I good, it. but it makes me smile. I can't say the movie's good, but I think of it and I smile, and that's all I need sometimes. Well, yeah. earlier this year, I watched Celebrity for the first time, which I had always heard was one of the worst ones, but I mostly really enjoyed it. Even Kenneth Branagh's 
woody aping which everybody talked about is like one of the worst things ever oh my god i can't even picture that it's it is pretty bad but the thing is the character is such a hapless idiot that it works because you watch you know, kenneth Branagh. what do you do you, you must i think about death every single day it makes me so makes it so hard to have sex with my young girl that i'm seeing right now you know <laughs> she yeah she loves me for my comment my humor my sense of humor <laughs> Humor, oh, you are. That's the only thing. That's truly the only difference between Woody Allen and Kenneth Branagh is the way they spell humor. The way they spell humor. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No, I feel like I can't top that. I'm stunned. I'm I'm petrified. (laughs) You know, it's yeah, because like I think as I've been watching a bunch of them for the first time, a movie like everybody says or everyone says I love you, which is his musical from '96. I want to say, really great. Uh, re- I feel like that and Deconstructing Harry were back-to-back years. And those are such a thorough, exciting, valuable view of him as a writer, director, and an actor. Because he acts in both those movies. That I honestly feel like he could have hung it up there. Because they're also such, I think, thorough windows into his psychology. Both his romanticism and his cynicism. So that one's really special. Deconstructing Harry as well, which... I think we might have talked about when I was on the podcast last time. Very briefly, yeah. I mean, I have brought it up. What's funny about that movie is that that is his Philip Roth movie, down to the casting of Richard Benjamin, who was the lead actor in the Goodbye Columbus and Portnoy's Complaint movies. And apparently Alan and Roth hated each other. And so that is kind of his vision of an egotistical writer whose autobiographical elements hurt people around him. I mean, if if... Woody's trying to slag Roth for that. It's a bit of a, it's a pretty, pretty big stone in a very yeah. fragile glass yeah. house, I gotta say. Yeah, it's the, uh, you know. The pot calling the kettle Jewish. Yes, the pot yeah. calling the kettle lecherous, yeah. <laughs> so I've said Annie Hall, everyone says I love you, deconstructing Harry. Yeah. Uh, said crimes and misdemeanors. Crimes also. and misdemeanors. And honestly, I feel like it's a toss-up between... Match points, match points yeah, amazing. Match points match by points number one. Love, yeah. I love points, match that points. That was my easy. twist. That's I, my, I just watched it. Amazing. It's, my, it's, it's so one of my great. favorite movies ever. Yeah. I might offer a bit of a flip side alternative to it. Six of one half does the other. Two years later, also England murder plot, Cassandra's Dream. Ooh. With Ewan McGregor and Colin Farrell, who both claim that Woody Allen did not know who they were <laughs> and couldn't remember them by name. So cool. He would call Colin Farrell Ewan, vice versa. Yeah. But that That's one... That's so cool. Th- that match point and... Crimes and Misdemeanors have something I think is very valuable, which is that they're some of the only movies I've seen, and maybe this is his Dostoevsky influence, but they're some of the only movies I've seen that actually depict what it would be like if you actually killed somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How every second of your life would be a waking nightmare. Yeah. yeah, And you would freak the fuck out. And that movie has a great bit of a, you know, both sides of the coin thing where, I don't remember which, but it's these two brothers, they kill somebody on behalf of their uncle, to get a large sum of money. One of them is melting down, freaking out. The other is basically saying, calm down, it's fine. What's done is done. But the movie really aligns with the one who's freaking out in terms of its uh, emotional logic. Wait, is that Cassandra's Dream? Yeah. Oh, I've never seen that one. Yeah. It's very underseen. It was a it was a Weinstein Company release mm-hmm. from like 2008. When... Were they, was he still doing United Artists like via Weinstein at that point? I think it was a Weinstein solo release. Mm. And that was one of those things where I think it got a very small, it got a very small release. And then six months later, Vicky Cristina Barcelona comes out and that's a huge hit. 
and you know it's overshadowed in that way and if you watch it even now like it just has incredible like 2007 dvd sheen like oh, it yeah. looks exactly like a movie you would watch off mm-hmm. a dvd rented at blockbuster but yeah. i say that as a th- those are some of my most formative viewing experiences <laughs> as a young cinephile exactly. so obviously yeah. that's a compliment i mean that's like vicky christina barcelona has that too and like I think of like Spanglish as one of those mm-hmm. very like one TV of my favorite type. movies. Yeah, right. I know that's why I said it. I know <laughs> I know your fondness for it. A mid two thousand soft haze. Yeah, yeah, which exactly. is just just the vision of my dreams. Well, honestly. it's also it's yeah. really funny because a lot of those guys were like masters of like neon in the eighties, the DPS, mm-hmm. and then in the two thousands they're just like doing living room sheen, basically mm-hmm. like yeah. movies <laughs> you can watch where the sun is creeping into your living room and it doesn't matter at yeah. all. Like, yeah. Uh, like when I think it's Dean Coondy was shooting. He, he, I think John Seal shot Spanglish, but Dean Coondy shot a lot of rom coms in that era. And they're just like, like he shot the Nancy Myers ones for that era. Wow. And uh, yeah, it's, it's com- like, or no, what's the? I think he uh, shot it's complicated. It's complicated is great. What's the one with Jack Nicholson and oh, uh, uh, Diane Keaton? That is something's got to get. Yeah, that's my favorite of those. That is a I so that's cute. one of the formative movies of the two thousands. I for hate me. to say I it as a critic because movie. it sounds derogatory, but it's genuinely one of the cutest movies ever. <laughs> and so I say good. that wholeheartedly. It it warms me. Every time I watch it. I've never seen it. I've actually never seen a Nancy Myers movie. Wow. Oh my I gosh. think you would like it. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, people overstate the whole like, oh, the kitchen in the Nancy Myers sure, movie. Sure. It's like they're they're memeing it basically. But no, I think I've actually, never even heard that. Oh, that was like a film Twitter dumb meme from fucking <laughs> 10 years ago. That shows how insular I am. But uh, like her production design is genuinely incredible. Like. I don't know. It just feels like uh, the Ikea scene from Fight Club. Like Mm. the way she designs her movies are uh, ways that bourgeoisie white moms want to live their life. And I kind of love that about it because it like, it's like how Antonioni said he made his dramas usually among the upper class people because they don't have like day to day issues. So they tap into deeper psychological issues because they have time to think about that kind of thing. And frankly, I think Nancy Myers fits that mold. Well, people always talk about like the, um, the architecture of the like hotel from The Shining mm. or the architecture in Antonioni movies or like how good Hitchcock is at establishing a location in, you know, the birds or something, how you know the layout of, um, what's the town called? Something Bay, right? Yeah. Um, uh, uh, uh. <clears throat> Bodega Bay. Bodega Bay, which is yes. funny because we are in the land of we're the in Bodega. New York City. We're in the Big Apple, baby, the four hundred pound town. But I think like nothing. It's a very light town. <laughs> yeah, it's very light. It's like the, the city three of, of us. angels. Are we baby. the only three people yeah, in the town? Yeah, only three people. Well, I think like, but Nancy Myers, the way that she like establishes the layout of the house and something's got to give, and like it's this like beautiful mansion type you know beach house vacation mm-hmm. house and the way that the the physical layout of the house plays into the antics of them like running into each other and them like you know like there's a scene where Diane Keaton is naked and in her room and Jack Nicholson like sees her it's like it's and he very thinks it's gross quote unquote because he's trying to still get with her daughter yeah uh, but of course yeah, 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 he's, you know yeah, yeah. that's the moment where he's it's very funny that it takes Jack Nicholson seeing Diane Keaton naked to become attracted to her in that movie. Yes, literally. <laughs> and I, yeah, I could draw a map of that house right now. It's if you amazing. gave me a pen and a piece of paper, I could draw. The, and I don't know if I could do that for like 
any other film location. You know what's really funny? Just... Tying it back to the Woodman, it reminds me of a comedy version of Interiors. The way that the house and the beach are used as yes. sets and like the distance and everything. And I don't know, people talking about each other in the house and Interiors. And then in this movie, it's like you have, and something's got to give that is, uh, you have Jack and uh, Diane Keaton, uh, especially Diane Keaton, that brings back to the Woody thing, but they're IMing each other to meet up to make pancakes in the middle of the night, oh, like yeah. in the kitchen, because the house is so big that you That's just like... That's such a sweet scene. I love that movie. Cute. You gotta see yeah. this movie, Nick. You, I you do. would like it. Yeah, I do. I've been wanting to watch all of my Nicholson blind spots, of which there are somehow a lot. I mean, like, if you count every single film he's ever been in. Yeah. I mean, uh, he's been in a lot. Yeah. He's been all over the place. Especially, like, those one-hour Roger Corman, mm. you know, like, the... Oh, yeah. When he was, like, Corman. co-writing them, too. Yeah, yeah. I've seen when all When he the... shows up in OG uh, Little Shop of Horrors, and he's That's like, right. Hello, I like to buy a plant. <laughs> <laughs> or his first movie, The Cryberry... Crybaby Killer, I think it's called, which is on Tubi. It's 60 I'm minutes. crying, baby. <laughs> Don't mind if I kill you. <laughs> I think that's his signature line in that movie. I think he says that to every, it's every all, woman. It, it's kind well, of it like, also the tagline on the poster. It's yeah, like, yeah, the yeah. cry baby. I'm crying baby. I'm coming I'm to crying you. baby. Don't mind if I kill you. Here, here's Johnny. You can't handle yeah. the truth. I'm crying, baby. Don't, don't mind, mind if, if I, I kill, kill you. you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, a lot of people don't know that uh, when he said, here's Johnny in The Shining, it's actually a reference um, to Joe, Joe Rogan would say yeah, that. Yeah, Joe Rogan says that at the beginning of every yeah. Joe Rogan experience. Yeah. One of the legends of broadcasting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you think Kubrick would have gone on the Joe Rogan experience? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. I hope so. Yes. He would have entertained Although, the like, dumbest questions about the future of filmmaking right. and technology. I think he would have walked out. I think he might have walked out. <laughs> The problem is that he wouldn't leave England and Joe Rogan records in Texas. Rogan, Rogan would have flown. flown out. Yeah. yeah, he would have flown out. That's Rogan sure. would have made a rule, uh, an exception to his rule. What to would go that out. conversation go like? Like what? I don't know. Do you want to act it out? I, I don't know about that. That's be not Joe, this kind of podcast. Who wants to be, who wants to be Stanley? And then I'll Stanley. Be, yeah. I'll be I'll be you'll be Stanley, Stan creator of Superman. You'll be Stan no, yeah, you'll be Stanley. I can't Kubrick. be jo- I can't be Joe Rogan. Well, I wanted to be Joe Rogan. Oh, okay, I'm you can host. be Joe Rogan. You can be yeah, you are the host. I'll be Stanley Kubrick. So when Jack's killing people in the shining, like what was going through your head? I I don't I don't know. So like <laughs> when you put the camera on the kid, like were you thinking that you were the kid? You know what? I'm always thinking of myself as a kid in a way, you know? That's crazy because every time sorry, I, was I have to leave, this is, this is <laughs> I think Rogan would have I asked think that's him, how it would have gone. He would have asked him. So did you ever, when you were making eyes, what shot, did you ever talk to Epstein? Yeah. True. Something like that. And no, the it would, would they would all, every single question would be about eyes wide shut. Yeah. Which yeah, is why he had so. to be killed, which is why they had to hit him with the heart attack gun. All right. So I'm not saying it's a documentary, but it's about Bohemian Grove, right? Like we're not. E- Jamie, can you pull up the clip of Bohemian Grove? Jamie, can you pull up the clip of um, the last shot where someone grabs the kid in the background? Now, why, why, did the, why did this happen? Stanley Kubrick is just like, well, I can't say. I can't say on the podcast. I signed a paper. <laughs> I can't say. Speaking of signed papers, I was at the uh, Museum of Moving Images today. Uh, Museum of the Moving Image, rather. Oh, yeah. Uh, there were a couple really cool things. One of them was a telegram from Orson Welles 
uh, printed out and hand signed, and it was about prosthetic noses. And he said, uh, "What happened to the nice flat noses you sent me two weeks ago? Stop! I have a Selznick co- picture coming up and need a Jewish nose. Stop!" <laughs> <laughs> Wait, have I? I think I've told you about this when I was at this. Um... Did you guys ever see this Kubrick exhibit that was at, it was going from museum to museum? Yeah, it was at LACMA in LA, I believe. Yeah, I, I saw it in San Francisco like years and years and years ago in like high school. And I my favorite was this one guy sent Stanley Kubrick a letter and was like, Dear Mr. Kubrick, I'm a plumber who lives in Queens, New York. And I just want to say that my friends keep making fun of me because I say that the, the missile at the end of... Um, this is in like the late like early 60s mid 60s mm-hmm. he's like I say that the missile in um, Dr. Strangelove at the very end that he's riding is kind of like a penis and he's it's like he's fucking the earth and my friends call me gay for saying this and they think that I'm insane and I just wanted to get your opinion and Stanley Kubrick's reply is like Yes, with like 10 exclamation points. Yes, absolutely. You are correct. Tell your friends that that is exactly what it is. And in fact, do you want to like meet up for coffee next time I'm in New York? Wow. <laughs> like, yes. And it turns out that plumber was Robin Wood. That, pl- <laughs> that plumber thought, was Harrison Ford. <laughs> I, thought, I thought the letter was getting with Kubrick saying, tell your friends that you are not gay. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally chill to like my movies. You're wrong. Tell your friends like, you're not. That's all it says. <laughs> tell your friends you're not gay now. <laughs> or you'll be hearing from my lawyer. <laughs> I'll give my actual top five Woodies, but I just want to go on a quick note. Top five like casting decisions in Woody Allen movies. Just off the dome, I've been thinking about this. Is last this the podcast minutes. where we can hey, afford to go on tangents? I mean, we yeah. e- even though we talked for uh, 19 minutes about uh, Joe Rogan on Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. I mean, we got to focus here, you know. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'm gonna go Richard Benjamin and deconstructing Harry because of the Roth connection. I think is like such a strong thing, and it's two of my favorite artists. And that that's like the clear-headed choice. Number two is also from that movie, and it's Billy Crystal as the devil mm. uh, because he is a demon, and I <laughs> really fucking hate Billy Crystal in every movie that you're not supposed to hate him in, basically. Mm-hmm. What about the, the New Orleans guy? Oh, the jazz man. <laughs> jazz man, yeah. Can we get an impression of the jazz man, Eddie? I know you know every word. You keep telling me I love the jazz man. I'm such a fan of the jazz man. <laughs> Look, he could have been more of a Stan Getz type jazz man. Now that, that's all. Like he, <laughs> he didn't have been to do it like that. Dave Brubeck. He could yeah. have been, uh, you know, a Chick Corea type. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, there's a, a horrible. Is this where you interpolate a clip of the jazz man? Maybe, yeah. maybe. maybe. So maybe. basically, uh, Hurricane Katrina happens. Uh, Comic Relief does a special. Oh my god! And, I uh, can't fucking believe he did that because of Hurricane Katrina. Yeah, that's the funniest detail. Uh, so he doesn't actually that... do blackface, which he does a lot throughout his career. But this time he doesn't. He just, he's like, he... I'm gonna go to New Orleans and be racist. Yeah, <laughs> because of Hurricane Katrina. <laughs> just and he just lift. weaves this tale as the jazz man about like growing up uh, around jazz and stuff and. You know, about how there were no turlets and uh, the, the hurricane done wiped everybody <laughs> <Turlets>. out. <laughs> I forgot but about anyway, so Billy Crystal is the devil in that movie. Um, Alan Alda in Crimes and Misdemeanors as the filmmaker uh, or the TV runner, runner, showrunner guy. Like that's 
one of the funniest performances you can think of. You know, when he's talking about like if it bends, it's funny. If it bends, if it breaks, it's not funny. Like just the biggest blowhard of all time. Perfect casting there. Next, uh, Jason Biggs as the Woody Allen analog in Anything Else. God, that I forgot is, about the Jason Biggs Woody Allen moment. That wins the award for strangest Woody Allen stand-in character to me. Uh, and then uh, uh, Kristen Stewart in Cafe Society. Uh, especially when she shares a nice date with Steve Carell. I think that's a really uh, magical moment in uh, the world of horrible casting. That's a film I've kind of meant to loosely meant to revisit. Loose being I haven't the seen any of those terrible. movies, truly. I haven't seen a single of those movies you said. Cafe Society is really funny because uh, I, that was like the last one I saw in theaters and I went opening day at 10 a.m. to the fucking Arclight in Sherman Oaks and it was just like me five elderly jewish women and i just had a ball what was, was the just, audience what were they loving it yeah they were oh, liking yeah. it they liked it enough i've never seen a woody <laughs> movie with an audience that didn't like it straight yeah. up uh, another great one though is justin timberlake in wonder wheel and i think the casting story is the best part because uh when asked about why woody allen put justin timberlake in wonder wheel he said he was on the treadmill one day watching the social network and he just thought Justin Timberlake was magnetic and needed to put him in a movie. And Like Mr. Burns when he hires that dog <laughs> in the Frank Burns episode. In the Frank Grimes episode, yeah. yeah. Just the idea of Woody on a treadmill watching yeah. the social network is just one of the greatest <laughs> mental Smithers, images there is. go get... I want you to get Justin Timberlake. I want him to be my vice president. I like Woody <laughs> as Mr. Burns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 Simpson, A. Eh? He has the same hair. <laughs> he does have the same hair. <laughs> um... But top five Woodies, I would probably go, yeah, Annie Hall, Crimes and Misdemeanors, you know, those are the husbands and wives. Those three yeah. are like the hardcore masterpieces. Uh, and then my favorites otherwise are probably like, um, yeah, I really love Matchpoint. I adore that one. That's my favorite. Yeah. And it's hard to go against Hannah and her sisters, too. I mean, Michael Caine in that when he puts on the moves uh, in that one scene and like bumps the record player and everything, it's one of the most embarrassing scenes in all of cinema. I, I love it. This has to be done very skillfully and very diplomatically. Did you ever read this one? Lee, I don't. Lee, Lee, I'm in love with you. Joey! I, I, I'm sorry, I have to talk to you. There's so much that I want to tell you. Ellie. I have been in love with you for so long. I I would say mine is almost the same as that, except I would replace Hannah and her sisters with bananas. Ooh. <laughs> I like when he steps on his glasses in that one. That's classic. Yeah, I love bananas. It's a funny movie. It is. It's so silly, you know? Um, get some Woody. Let's get some love for early Woody, you know? I like the... When he was in goofball mode. Yeah, early funny movies yeah nick newman yeah i'm finally giving you your introduction our okay. guest 30 minutes 30 <laughs> minutes into the podcast uh one of our guests is the managing editor of the film stage uh i've introduced him recently enough so you remember it's nick newman hello everyone hi and our other guest is the co-host of the Movie Mindset podcast uh, with Will Meneker. And she is a writer in her own right. And also, she she's a podcaster OG. She does Seeking Derangements. And uh, you may remember her past performances on this show. Mm -hmm. It's Hessa. 
Yes, hello. Um, so we're coming to you from the Big Apple, as I said before. That's right. I uh, I ditched the boys, JT and Malcolm. You know, in too small time for me. They say don't forget about the little people. I don't even know who those guys are anymore. Eddie's Eddie's running with the big dogs now. I like to think Hess and I are the official New York correspondents for extended clip. Yeah, which one of you is so. JT? Which one of you is Malcolm? Oh, I didn't see us. I as think we, we're our own. Yeah, thing. Okay. it doesn't it doesn't you know? have to be. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. All right, I'll read that as I will. I think I'm Hessa and Nick is Nick. You know. <laughs> Your pause there made me think you were going to maybe say something else that he was. Oh, no, 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 no. Nick is wonderful. No, I would never. Nick, have you been attending screenings at the uh, New York Film Festival recently? I want to hear any dirt. You got the hot goss? I actually have some (laughs) critic goss. I saw Glenn Kenny uh, last night. (laughs) Where did you see him? All right, we're deep enough in the pod. So I took took mushrooms and went to the Stan Brackage screening at uh, Anthology Film Archives last night. Is that part of the festival no or? no no no. i am avoiding new york film they, festival with a 10-foot pole okay cool you're too good for are you too cool for it i think i'm not cool enough I think oh I'm not cool no, enough. They no, don't no, no they don't that's, want me well they for, told me no oh because they they rejected your press accreditation that's just because i think that podcasts are something that they're weird about no it's fun if they want to accreditate <laughs> blank check it's fine you know it's no fine. comment. Any of them? It's fine. I don't know what that is. What's Why would I? Blink what? It's funny. We had like, a huh? we had an email today that just came in, and they uh, typo referred to it as black check, and I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> but I'm not going to read that email. Um, well, I for anyone who doesn't isn't aware, Anthology Film Archive has a literal archive of movies that are like the essentials, and they just go through in alphabetical order. It's awesome. In they like do, a loop. It's like all the fucking. You know, essential cinema of the mid-century experimental days. It's like fucking and all everything else. Literally. Yeah, yeah. It's and like... so in the Maya Darren room, the small theater, uh, right now they're running a Brackage series. So I saw them as they should be seen uh, on sixteen millimeter with no fucking sound. Oh yeah, that's another anthology <laughs> quirk is yeah. that when they play silent movies, they play them with no music, nothing at all. So it's just yeah. total silence. It's and... really cool because like when you go see a silent movie and there's like a actually nice orchestration and there's the guy who's like, <sighs> it was actually played with no music back in the day, actually. Uh, so he's really happy. Yeah. He's really happy. Though. He's usually wrong too. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> And like I, but I saw Greed there. It was like three hours long. <laughs> and I was like, this is so sick. Yeah. No, I'm Greed fucking, rules. I'm like this, you know, it really gives you a new lease. There's no comfier thing. Cause it was like on 103 degree day. It was so hot. Mm. And I went in with my friend just literally to like stay cool. And we just went in the, the Maya Darren theater, the tiny theater. And because she was one of the founders of it, I believe it was like Jonas Mikas. I don't think she was one of the main founders, but she like gave money to it or like sponsored it or something. But it's all these like, you know, experimental filmmakers from the mid-century who like got bought like a, a former elementary school and turned it into the anthology film archive. And now it's amazing. And like it's my favorite theater in New York. High praise. Yeah. I, I've only been to a couple of the rep houses out here, but that is, uh, I would say that is my favorite of the bunch so far. Nick, what, what's your what's your take on this place? Do you hate it? 
Oh my god, no. <laughs> no, no, no. And <laughs> anthology setting you up to a zag here for no reason. An- no. You're the one who could actually like you probably know the people who run it. Like I have emailed them. Yes. Anthology is absolutely sacred ground. That's actually one of the only theaters that I kind of make a point of financially supporting every single time because I am I have enough clout that I can get into a lot of repertory stuff for free. And it's great. I mean, I'm not going to complain about it for one second. Anthology is one of those things where they also, they're also one of the only theaters that's not charging at least $15 for a ticket. It's like yeah. 12 bucks for a ticket max. And the essential cinema ones are nine. Yeah. Which is, which yeah. is remarkable. This podcast is sponsored by anthology film archives because everyone else turned me down. Uh, so, anyway, uh, the first time we hung out, we saw, what did we see? That's right. What did we see? Actually, I'm going to look this up right now. That Fuck, was it was this guy. Nice there were, two pairs of experimental movies it was wonderful and then we went and saw to this bar that was playing live jazz right across the street yeah we went to far too loud whoa what is it called what is it called what is it called jesus why am i blanking on this it's like right across the street anyway cafe yeah which is a classic new york institution yeah but uh I have to try to find this. You can just edit this out, or you can keep yeah, no, it. No, it's all good. Yeah. I do. It is funny because anthology. I feel like is one of the places where if you were to see everything there, you could probably have like the best film education of any theater in New York. Uh, I will say that sometimes I've gone there and not had a great experience. Like I remember a year and a half ago I was just like comically depressed and I thought oh you know what make me feel better is if I see Carl Theodore Dreyer's Gertrude while I just want to kill myself <laughs> and then I went to go see it and it was one of the worst prints I have ever seen oh like, nice. where it was so blown out that you could barely read the subtitles and I was just sitting there like I regret so many choices I've made in my life that have led me to this moment however amazing place all in all we saw a three things we saw a feature which was called hold on a feature i we, think it was like 40 minutes it was like 45 minutes we yeah. saw nothing but time by alberto yes. cavalcanti which i really loved that was a really great one then we saw the shorts the long bodies and glenn fall sequence when you go to anthology you're seeing stuff um, like these the reason the these three bodies, are paired together sequence, yes is because it's literally alphabetical order by the director's last name going through their yes okay their like archive so yeah cavalcanti crockwell and crockwell yeah yeah makes total and sense the crockwells were crazy that, that shit was yeah. beautiful those were really good uh i i like to keep it you know relatively uh, private, my private life that is. But sometimes I'll talk about it. On I the like pod. to keep it relatively private, my private life that is. <laughs> I'm sorry. Next topic. <laughs> no, I'm uh, sorry. So no, I I went to anthology film archives. I was on a psychedelic, a light dose of a psychedelic, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, seeing Brackage in that setting was Which fucking Brackage incredible. Is? Well, when you're going to anthology, you're seeing songs 24 through 31. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, so, period. Like, one of them, though, was really funny because it has images of his kids with just, like, empty bowls of soup, like, empty food bowls. And it's just because they were so poor. And it's just like, yeah, critical acclaim won't feed your kids very literally. <laughs> yeah. He's just filming his kids looking like Depression-era kids with empty bowls of food and I don't know. It's a little off-putting. I know people have been off-put by his intermingling of the personal and the artistic, like filming his wife giving birth without her permission or whatever. Yeah, and she's screaming. Yeah. You could tell she's screaming and telling him to put the camera down. <laughs> like, he will not. 
<laughs> I thought that was Hollis Frampton, but I might be getting them confused. No, uh, baby moving bath water or whatever uh, yeah. is brackage, in fact. Okay, uh, cool. Hollis Frampton, hey, look, I wouldn't be surprised if he pulled some shenanigans too, but the art is worthwhile. That's why I go to see brackage still. Yeah, uh, Mothlight, one of the great short films of all time. Seeing Mothlight on a print back at, I went to a program at UCLA, a 16 millimeter program a while back, and side note about this, hilarious side note. The intro was so fucking long and annoying that friend of the podcast, Nate Fisher, got up and left twice. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> he got up and just, like, stood outside for five minutes just to blow off steam because of how fucking lame the intro was. That's iconic. And then came back and then left again and did it and was still early for the actual screening starting. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, I luckily walked in right as it was starting. But as, as I said, later I walked out and saw Glenn Kenny just looking like a fucking ghoul. <laughs> oh, my God. I had a really scary experience my first day of NYFF screenings where I was standing in line with Mr. Kenny and he looks square at my badge like my picture and my name and then he just looks at me and immediately starts typing in his phone <laughs> oh my god that's so funny no idea what it's like yes. you're in the fucking trial like, <laughs> yeah these guys show up and start texting looking into your apartment seeing you in line at the movies you're in a serious man literally yeah. <laughs> like... honestly 50 glenn kenny's as like bodyguards in like a trial type situation Yo. that's mortifying that's a mortifying. jury of all Glenn Kennys. <laughs> I don't know what he. I'm looking. I'm picturing like human Patrick from SpongeBob. Honestly, honestly, <laughs> not too far <laughs> off. Uh, so back to the New York Film Festival because all we've really talked about was line shenanigans, right. I guess, <laughs> and your clout, which is allows you to uh, get into screenings that I can't get into, I guess. But hey, that's a uh, you know look. I had to grind, I had to grind for this view. Hey, we're looking at a great view, view right yeah. now that I got a great view for. And I got you can the uh... Empire freaking state building right out there. You could see it right from the window. I truly, with regards to like any access I have, the way I it really is the line from Chinatown: ugly buildings, politicians, and whores. Right, I've just been around long enough to be respected. That yeah. now I am just respectable. Yeah. yeah. Well, because John Houston. Yeah, that's absolutely how it's pronounced. Is it? Is that how it's? No. Okay. But the thing is, is that there are two tiers of badges at the critic screenings. One is like the regular line. The other is the priority fast pass line. And last year, for the first time ever, my like my tenth year of being accredited, I got put in the fast pass line. Ooh. And oh my god, I can't go back. Yeah. I can show up to the Sofia Coppola movie twenty five minutes before. Uh, come right in. We have a seat for you right here. It's amazing. It's that, great. That sounds like heaven. I'm just, you know. How, how, wait, how early do you have to get if you don't have? Oh, man. I mean, I remember 2014. I showed up to Inherent Vice like two and a half hours before it started. That sounds really fun because, like, shit. while you could watch a movie, you're in line to yes, watch a movie. Exactly. I've done that like a couple times for like West Coast premiere of blah, blah, blah. Like, I remember standing in line forever for fucking Zama at UCLA because um, I guess every cinephile was listening to the film movie. comment. Po- oh, it's great. I love <laughs> Zama. I just think it's really funny that the film pod, the film comment podcast did three episodes on Zama before it came out. And That's I was so at the, funny. I was at like the West Coast premiere of it. It had only played in New York. It was the West Coast premiere. And I was like, what the fuck? There's a line around the block for Zama. And it was very, str- it was a very strange experience. It's one of those things. And I, I great s- movie. 
I certainly know this having worked in very boutique film distribution and then also done interviews with like very kind of small marginal filmmakers, which is that if every single person who knows about it wants to see it, that Mm. still amounts to like a sold out audience. So probably that night, every single person in the greater LA County Mm -hmm. who had an interest in Zama said, well, I got to go see, I listened to the third film comment podcast episode about it. And I feel like I am finally persuaded to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Finally. Uh, You know, if Pinkerton liked it, I liked it. Yeah. Have you guys, uh, do you know the tale of uh, Darth Pinkerton, the wise? It's not a tale the Jedi would tell no, you. No, who's that? <laughs> who's anyway, that? Uh, so back to Nif. Uh, did you see either of the new Hong Sang Su films? So I've seen In Water, which is the one that played in Berlin. I've not seen In Our Day. If I recall correctly, I he uses deep focus for that one, right? No, it's out of focus. Oh, I misread. Ah, damn. Yeah. Was that a joke? Yeah. Okay. It is really out of focus. The subtitles are in focus. Well, that's good. It, yeah. That's how you know the file works, is if you can read the subtitles. It really is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I watched a 1080p copy of it on my OLED television, and even then, it was just like... <laughs> listeners can't see that I'm just squinting, like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you threw it away. Oh, no. I deleted the mic. <laughs> yeah, oh, no. It. We're back on extended clip. Hessa, have you been to any New York film festival screenings or have you been doing your own thing lately? I've actually never been to a film festival screening, I don't think. <sighs> yeah. Good for you. Good for you. I never have. It's no, always... it's really bad. I really don't like the environment. I know. I feel like it's like, well... I feel like it's like one of those things that your friends who go to them for work are like, oh, yeah, no, you're not missing much. But, you know, I'd like to go to see one or two, you know, as a fun. But also I'm like, yeah, I I don't like waiting in line for a movie, I guess. Queuing for a movie, as they say. Yeah, queuing. I don't. I don't I like to be in to Manhattan. That. It gives you the the opportunity <laughs> for a guy to be talking about how pretentious Bergman is in front of you, and like, then you have to bring in your old friend Marshall McLuhan. Yeah, Marshall McLuhan like, has to come in and he say he doesn't only, know what he's talking about. He can only show up at Film Forum like once a week max. Like you can't get him out. He there. He waits out now. there. No, he waits out there. Now <laughs> he doesn't have much else going on. He's out there. Well, once they dropped that uh, medium is the message quote on Mad Men, he probably got like a $50 check at least. Oh, yeah. He gets a $50 check every time any episode of Mad Men plays anywhere. Speaking of uh, Mad Men, we're in New York right now. We're in New York City. I don't know if anyone knew that. We're in the 500-pound town over here. It grew 100 pounds since the last time we talked. Yeah, we, jo- we got mean? someone else. We're joined by. We're now joined by Dennis Franz. <laughs> hey, how's his, it going? What is, what is his line in Dress to Kill? It's like, well, you one. tell Mark from uptown to come downtown, or I'm going to bring him around town. <laughs> I think his apartment in Blowout is one of the grossest spaces ever yeah. uh, that a body has inhabited. I love how Brian De Palma was like, hey, I need you to play just a fat, disgusting slob. He's like, yeah, I'll do it nine times over five years. The part in, yeah, the part in Blowout where John Lithgow, isn't there a part where Lithgow goes to him and is like, him and Lithgow are in cahoots in some way? Uh, right, because... 
It's been so long since season blow. I can't remember. Because Franz yeah. takes the photos, right? Yeah, Franz yeah. takes the photos. And, and I specifically remember Lithgow. Sounds like the worst German film ever. Franz <laughs> yeah. takes the photos. Lithgow. Go- Lithgow. Yeah, it won the Golden <laughs> Bear at Berlin, but like it sucks. It's actually a fast spinner movie and it's really good. But um, I like Lithgow goes to his apartment and is like, do you, li- do you live with anyone? And he's like, nah, I don't live with no one. No one lives here. If I died right now, no one would even know about it. <laughs> and he's what? like, and Lithgow is just standing there looking at him like a psycho. <laughs> the like, stain oh on his wife beater is incredible. <laughs> yes. it, like, uh, that's like one of my favorite pieces of wardrobe is his just like drenched in red sauce uh, <laughs> fucking tank top that he yeah. wears. Kind of a Jewish Italian uh, ambiguity god. Yeah, yeah no, he can well, definitely my, go both ways. He's a real uh, Rachel Senate, if you will. One of my favorite. They're gonna say Rachel Dolezal. Yeah, a real Rachel Dol Dolezalino. Well, yeah. <laughs> Dolezalino. <laughs> I thought Dolezal <laughs> changed her name to Senate and went Jewish. No, no, oh, no, no, no actually. Ra- you're thinking of Rachel, uh, Rachel Cusk. Oh, Cusk, 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 Cusk. Okay, Cusk, um, Cusk. little literary reference or you know, it's a novelist. I haven't read any of her books. Mm. Oh, I think Ben read one of her books. I find and liked them it a lot. shallow and pedantic, to quote a friend <laughs> of mine. Um, it's not okay, actually. Uh, you know what was really funny about the museum of the movie image is uh, like they that had it's a so whole... far away from where your apartment is. Yes, that was very fun. Uh, taking the train to Astoria. Flushing. Oh yeah, uh, Astoria, Astoria. We got some decent ramen after that. You know, it, yeah. all things considered, it was a good day. Um, but yeah, it's funny that they have an exhibit about Sarah Pauly's women talking there. Uh, it's like, that's, that's cool. That's what I want to go see is an exhibit about, uh, Jim Henson and, uh, women talking. Those oh, are... do they still have Bowie's, uh, pants with the, the cod piece from, oh, from, uh, from Labyrinth? You know what? Probably. I kind of skipped over a lot of the Henson stuff. Oh God. The Henson exhibit there is so good. I went with my, it's too, I, the puppets freak me out. I went with a few friends and one of my friends was literally like crying and was like, oh my God, which apparently is like, I don't know. I was like, wow, that's so cute. Like, did you get your yeah. friend like help after? Yeah, no, we called the we called the police actually, and there was a standoff. It was really close to escalating to a point where we couldn't, where something we really would have regretted would have happened. But we did call the police. We got everything figured out. She's in jail now. Nice. Hey, uh, do you guys want to hear a, a kind of a not arcane but a weird little tidbit about Museum of the Moving Image, yeah. which yes. I always loved? I don't know if you remember in early 2017. Right after the election, Shia LaBeouf tried to do his one oh, of his, his media stunts, yes. which was called He Will Not Divide Us, I think, or something. Yeah, and something like that. He set up a video camera outside Museum of the Moving Image where people could talk into it to, to share how they feel about the current moment. And a bunch of like white supremacists and neo-Nazis started showing up. And he up. started fighting, trying to fight with them. Yeah, yeah. And calling them... Yeah, that's one of the great... Is there... I, I love I love Shia LaBeouf, his misguided attempts at doing things. Have you guys seen the uh, Abel Ferrara film he was in last year, Padre Pio? I, have. I haven't. His performance is something. I don't think the film's very good, but uh, man, he giving like an actual Abel Ferrara freakout performance at times. He's great in Nymphomaniac. I haven't seen that one. Um, he does but- a really bad accent. Oh yeah, he still <laughs> is very sexual in it. I think. Oh well, that's he no sells, problem. He still for him. sells it. Yeah. Padre Pio, it's so weird because like the second scene of the movie is 
a voice that sounds a lot like Abel Ferrara's off camera telling him you're you're a piece of shit you're horrible to women and it's just Shia LaBeouf's face like crumbling and crying I just remember watching it thinking I shouldn't be seeing this <laughs> maybe this is necessary for some healing journey he's on but this is not for public no that's view. I mean that's like the funniest thing about like the newest like latter Abel Ferrara movies is the the piece of trivia that Abel Ferrara and Michael Mann are like really good friends <laughs> and that they screen each other's movies for each other before they come out like before showing them to anyone else and the idea of it's also Abel kind of a raw I'm sorry to interrupt but that's a raw end of the deal because Abel Ferrara makes three yeah. movies a year yes. Michael Mann doesn't make <laughs> yeah. anything anymore <laughs> yeah. so Abel keeps coming over like I got, I got a new fucking uh, movie, we, you know we're making this a new documentary movie where the, char- the character who's a standard for me is crying because he's <laughs> His dick don't work. He, fuck, <laughs> he fucked too many women, did too many drugs, and then he finds Buddhism. And then he's like, shows like the the idea of the lights coming up and Michael Mann in an empty theater and Abel Ferrara being like, "So, Mike, what what'd you think?" <laughs> Just being like, "Wow, Abel, that was so that was so great." <laughs> Uh, Michael Mann just like trying to reverse the deal like fill his end of the deal going upstairs telling his wife like yeah uh, Abel's over here he thinks Heat's a new movie again so we're just gonna leave him down (laughs) there for three hours Michael Mann has like an annotated 600 page book about the circulatory system (laughs) research for a movie that will never get made yeah (laughs) oh well Abel's coming over again that's a terrible it's a terrible Michael Mann impersonation. Mikey, can we please just, can we watch Heat again at your place? <laughs> sure, Abel. Yeah, absolutely. I like to think they're good friends because like I imagine that they have a lot in common and are very... Yeah. I rewatched Heat again recently with my dad. Mm, like this beautiful. past weekend. That's a beautiful scene. Yeah, it's, it's, it's wonderful. It's not my dad's favorite because it's too long, quote unquote, <laughs> but he, when he gets into it, he gets into it. Yeah. And oh, it was yeah. very funny because I was like, you know do you like this movie he's like i really like it but you know it's not one of my favorites and i'm like we were watching it i was like when's the last time you watched this because in my mind he this is not a movie he rewatches because he thinks it's too long Mm -hmm. and he's like probably like last week probably like maybe like (laughs) like five days ago and i was like oh my god We running back heat again? Oh yeah! All right, cool. I, I love my dad. I showed him uh, L.A. Confidential recent recently, and nice. it's like he's like, "This is one of my new favorite movies." Oh, that's sick. Yeah, uh, that one. I don't like adore L.A. Confidential, but the good scenes are amazing. It's like, a great oh, dad movie. Yeah, and it's a great TV movie too because yeah. like it's if got it's major on, TNT sheen. Yeah, because like if you only watch the good scenes, it's a five out of five. Like if there's a good game on and you're flipping between TNT yeah, and TBS yeah, or exactly TNT right. or ESPN, and like you only watch the good scenes of la confidential that's a fucking like actual modern classic but instead it's just like a it's a good movie i like it yeah the, i mean guy pierce is sexual as hell in it we got that performance is incredible it's got great cheekbones yeah oh yeah i gotta be honest <laughs> mm-hmm. i will say i mean to be super annoying about this but this podcast is just to be super annoying yeah right yeah i mean i love you all but you know we're you being our worst selves uh, I will say as a I'm actually reading James Elroy's The Big Nowhere mm-hmm. right now which is a great book and it got me thinking it makes me really want to rewatch The Black Dahlia because my line is that Black Dahlia is a much better Elroy movie 
than LA Confidential. Ooh. Because both Elroy and Brian De Palma are guys who really get down in the muck and show you some really gnarly shit. Do you want to hear something, the most embarrassing thing? Wait, finish and I'll... Oh, just like, I mean, I don't know. It's one of those things where I don't know if either of you have read much Elroy. No, no I've seen Black Dahlia, but I haven't read any Or Or uh, Karis, have you read any Elroy? I don't mean to call anybody out, but Eddie's wonderful girlfriend is with us right now. Yeah. Fiance, thank you very much. Uh, Jesus oh, Christ, fiance, I'm sorry. Congratulations, also. Yes. Yeah, the video viewers can see her beautiful ring. You know, it is real. <laughs> yeah. uh, but um, my thing about it is like Elroy's books are so aggressively unpleasant, where every page is just somebody who's referred to by a racial slur gets mm-hmm. punched in the face and when somebody gets punched in the face in Elroy they always lose teeth and their tongue splits that's always Elroy seems like it's like Bukowski-esque in, in the I've never read Bukowski oh that's like what happens in Bukowski is yeah. like you know I mean they're two fucked up guys who kind of you know tore up LA yeah but the thing is it's like it's always like his teeth swam his tongue was split and I remember reading the Underworld USA trilogy which is an amazing series of books but it's like 1900 pages of just describing injuries and giving you racial slurs nice and I just remember like every time somebody drives every time every time one of the white characters drives into like a sort of minority part of town I'm like all right let's just let's just take it easy this time let's go a few, <laughs> and, a few pages ahead and James R is just like he drove into beep town and all the beeps were listening to I'm just like oh. yeah that happens with oh, George man. V Higgins too have you ever read like Friends of Eddie Coyle or the Tigers game no. or anything oh I that uh, no way. The yeah, guy who wrote yeah, The right. Friends of Eddie Coyle. <laughs> uh, in The Diggers Game, racist. the guy refers to black coffee as the N-word. It's oh ridiculous. My That's uh, really... I'm currently reading Raymond Chandler's The Little Sister, and it's like two pages I love in. Chandler. Yeah, of course. I mean, speaking of a guy who can explore the gutters of L.A. like no other. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and also, yeah, two pages in, like right when the lady shows up, uh, like... Marlo tells her that she should start wearing those glasses that make you look oriental. I was just like, oh my God. why do you even throw that line in there? I'm like a third into the book. Well, he gets paid not... per word. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> so... <laughs> yeah, it's true. He gets like paid the more per racial. Syllable. Yeah, syllable. yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oriental more... is because of the syllable deal. Oriental is for. The syllabic deal. Yeah. Uh, but this one is really good so far. Uh, I don't think there's a movie adaptation of it, but uh, you know, it's it's this lady named Orphemy, uh, which is the worst name I've ever heard in my life. Looking for her—that's br- like Renesmee from <laughs> Twilight. If you're if you're if either of you two are familiar with the Twilight books, or oh, I'm series. familiar. Okay, I'm familiar. Okay. I mean, look, when we're talking about sports cinema, we're talking about the baseball scene set to Muse's supermassive black hole from the first Twilight. One movie. of the great sports scenes of all time. I can't I can't think of a better sports scene. Truly, the grip that that song had on fourteen year old me is frankly embarrassing. That I Knights of Sidonia was my oh. Muse number. I mean, fucking that one, the like, music video was crazy because it was like a. I was like, this is just like the movie The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. You know, you knew like, what The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly was when you were listening to that shit. Absolutely. I, w- I was like watching fucking like Sports Center. Oh my god! In fact, and this actually ties and like back, Ferris Bueller. This ties back into the Black Dahlia, which I saw that movie like when I was like in sixth or seventh grade, because I was I loved movies so much, and I was like. You know, I basically just had my dad's taste in movies. So I had seen like um, Scarface and, you know, Goodfellas and like Casino and shit and like The Godfather. And my favorite directors were like, before that, it was Steven Spielberg. But at that point, it was Martin Scorsese. And I was like, 
I want to write a fan letter to Martin Scorsese because my dad is always like, you know, I probably know someone who could get it to him and he doesn't. But he was like <laughs> at the time he was like, you know, I know, you know, Harvey Weinstein's from Buffalo. I remember he always said that all the time. Like I could probably talk to him if I and um, so I wrote a letter to Martin Scorsese and I remember like, oh, he'll think I'm so cool if I am like. Yeah, your your new movies are really good, <laughs> but um, like The Aviator, but you know Brian De Palma's new movies suck. Like <laughs> Black Dahlia, that movie's so boring. I wrote that in a fan letter to Martin Scorsese <laughs> when I was in sixth grade, and I thank God it never got sent because yeah. I would be so embarrassed. That's but, incredible. Oh yeah. My God. <laughs> I remember being viscerally bored by The Aviator in theaters because I was nine years old. Oh, I didn't see it. I saw it on DVD after. Yeah, that would have made more sense. I I, I saw it when it came out, and that's 04, 03. Uh, I was born in 94. So, yeah, I was way too young for it. And I was so young, in fact, and so bored that I asked my mom to borrow her cell phone and she thought I was like going to play snake on it or something. But I ran out to the lobby and called my friend's house phone that I had the number memorized. (laughs) And I was like, yo, you want to hang out? I'm at the Northridge Mall. And he was like, yeah. And then I went and handed my phone back to my mom. I was like, I'm going to go walk to David's house. And oh I God. left her at the aviator. And she was like, <laughs> what the fuck? And I think I, uh, I think she, like, I spent the night at my friend's that night. I was like scared to go home. Your mom she was, was like, mad at you because your mom was pissed. <laughs> well, yeah, she was like, I fucking brought you to the movies. I don't want to see this shit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is funny, actually. And that might be like a mom etiquette thing. Like, I know oh, my totally. mom would be afraid to come out of the movie and ask for a refund or anything. Oh, yeah. My mom has done that once in her life, and she reminds me of it all the time. Uh, me, myself, and Irene. Her and my aunt walked out of that and uh, demanded a refund because it was, quote, the most offensive movie of all time. Oh, my God. And I have to think that the refund, the the walkout moment, was when Jim Carrey sucks on the lady's titty at the bus stop. Like oh, yeah, that's definitely. but that's like right at the first act break. That's when you learn what the movie's about. You know, that's when you got to be in. My friends and I walked out. I think like ten seconds into Bucky Larson, Born to Be a Star, <laughs> when we were in like again, we were in like seventh grade. Yeah. But we were like, this is too stupid. Yeah. When because we, I mean, maybe that's worth a revisit now. But we were like, and maybe we were influenced by the the Rotten Tomatoes fairy. Mm-hmm. It was like this is the like a zero star a zero percent movie, but the very first thing that happens is they're like, well, this is where we grew up, and some guy goes outside, smears peanut butter on his dick, and then like opens up his goat cage, and then his neighbors walk by. He's like, hey, how's everyone? And me and my friends are like, all right, let's go. <laughs> like, was was Bucky Larson David Spade or Nick Swartzen? It was Nick Swartzen. Damn, that's a letdown because Nick Swartzen's really good in Grown Ups too. I, I mean, my friend jared who you know we're, we all we're in the chat with jared oh yes right, yeah, of course. has this recurring dream that grown-ups 2 is directed by robert altman <laughs> and i think it's so funny 
something like so. But I kind of see why. Yeah, no, it's been discussed on this podcast as one of the great uh, ensemble hangout films of the 21st century. You know, yeah. it's a, it's everybody's in the bus. That that's the thing. The, the first half of that movie, the school bus that Nick Swardson drives, is the metaphor of having a good time at, at the movies and watching a dumbass movie with your friends and laughing and being with your old buddies, uh, Chris Rock and Adam Sandler. Speaking of. I'm look. I'm I'm on the lookout for Chris Rock out here in Soho. I'm. Is he, this where he lives? Yeah, he just uh, made the news for catching a peeper on his fire escape in Soho. So I'm trying to replace. Well, he's probably not home then. Yeah, probably I guess went somewhere so. else. <laughs> yeah, true. Some guy <laughs> fucking burned the spot. Yeah, it was you. <laughs> Some guy. I said yeah, yeah, I'll be yeah. out of town tomorrow. It's no big deal. <laughs> Wait, Eddie, why do you have a black eye? <laughs> I've been on the lookout for Chris Rock. Been on the lookout for Chris the Rock. The sighting. <laughs> I saw Chris Rock the other day. Living in Los Angeles my whole life and then coming to New York and just being like, all right, I got to hunt down these celebrities. God, every time I think of um, a like uh, someone peeping at someone in a window, I don't think of like the movie thing I think of isn't like rear window or like, you know anything like that it's the scene in ghost dog where the one mobster is putting uh talcum powder on his balls and because it's the most like oh i'm seeing something i shouldn't be watching right now moment i've i could imagine you could imagine in a movie because it's the guy like oh <laughs> like squeezing the thing and just like and then just like it's so funny the and I'm lofting like, it's like LeBron's pregame routine I yeah. think in context it isn't even point of view from like Ghost Dog's point of view no but you remember but it's it like, as POV I'm like oh I'm watching this from a window yeah. like crouched on no it's like the thing in The Shining you know where you see the, the guy in the dog costume or whatever blowing the dude yeah, yeah, like yeah. in your mind that lives as like oh yeah they were having hardcore sex and you see the whole thing like, yeah. not actually but you know it's like it, it, it's such a snapshot but of course it's so psychologically impairing through the editing and the framing and everything that it's like it feels way longer than it actually is and it feels like it's a full pov thing too yeah yeah i will say when i went to los angeles i mean my inaugural visit this summer i did do a bit of a map of the stars with some of the mm -hmm. locations i knew because i was staying with somebody who lives like a 10 minute walk from nicole brown simpson's house who really west cider what Oh, they're on the west side. That's all. It was, yeah. It oh, was, Eddie's a local. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah. They live on the Santa Monica-Brentwood border. I don't know if that's too... Uh, uh, are they backing up the Brinks truck every night? How do they afford that? It was... Uh, I think he works in, like, computers or something. Oh, that's a great field. Like, computer yeah. design or These something. These days? Oof. My friend's brother, I should say. But uh, it's... Uh, I mean, this is a movie, really, because OJ was in The Naked Gun. Yeah, so, of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But uh, very... In football is movies. That's true, Yeah. That was it was very I eerie. Agree with that now. It was very eerie going there because it is entirely overgrown with vegetation from the street. I have literally in my life never seen a house that is so obscured from view. And then I did go and like peek my head over to see the stairs where the murders happened and it's really terrible. I didn't I didn't enjoy it. But then I went to I did go to David Lynch's house and I have his address for reasons and I did like go and I saw his car which is a cube he drives a cube and I saw like somebody was home mm -hmm. like there was a light on and there was a key dangling from the door Did you leave a videotape of well he, he I'll say this he is not 
far from the Lost Highway house. And I also okay. saw the Lost Highway house. And I went to go ring the doorbell. And the Lost Highway bell is now one of those ring cameras, mm-hmm. which are kind of sick. Which is so sense. cool. I mean, it was funny, too, because then I was like, ah, oh, man, he's going to have video of my friends and I acting you like know, total idiots in front of his house. He probably did that for Wisteria, you know. <laughs> That's true. Probably actually. did that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, and then speaking of the Black Dahlia, I did drive past the George Hodel house where it's believed the Black Dahlia murder was committed. Mm. Very eerie. Frank Lloyd Wright design. And then the house from A Woman Under the Influence, which nice. is in that area. I wanted to say, circling back to football as cinema, Hessa, you went to a Buffalo Bills game against the Miami Dolphins last week. Yes. How was that? I'm going to upload this podcast like pretty soon, so it'll be timely. Well, some Buffalo lore is that I, or some Hessa lore is that I'm from Buffalo. I guess mm-hmm. vice versa, both work. And, you know, I've never been a big football fan, but I went to the game recently, and it was like, I was like, wow. This is really I'm feeling the magic. I told I asked my um my dad like is this what every game is like and he's like fuck no. <laughs> yeah, no. Because you went at we, a great time. <laughs> the Bills it's like one of the best games they've ever had. They yeah. had in like a really long time apparently. And yeah, well for listener context it's like they were going up against the Miami Dolphins who the week before had put up 70 points like 70 no, 40 they yeah, won. Like, nobody's se- put up yeah. 70 in like so long. They have like the highest flying offense in years. Tua Tagovailoa is like MVP candidate and Buffalo's been uh, on their heels a little people have been pushing back against the Buffalo thing yeah. they're like look they're not even as good as they were two years ago and then they just fucking laid the smackdown at home it, it looked glorious on TV it was awesome it was amazing and you know we saw the Elvis who is like a guy who dresses like Elvis who goes mm-hmm. and we saw there's an Elvis at the Bills game yeah does he is does he go in the field um, no, he just goes in the stands and goes around and says oh, that's hi. that's great. But he came to us and was like, hey, nice. how's it going? You know my middle name's Elvis, right? Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. My dad really wanted it to be my first name. Did you like the movie Elvis? No, unfortunately. <gasps> I was, I, oh. I liked parts of it. I liked parts of it. Are you excited but... for um, Priscilla, the tale of a six foot seven Elvis? It's so funny that they casted Jacob Elordi as Elvis because he's he's like six foot seven. Yeah, I, when I saw the poster, I was like, "You got to be kidding me!" That, I, like, it's I get be that so good. I get that he's really good, but you can't put Jason Tatum in a movie. You know, like the guy, he's a wing for the Celtics. He's not an actor. Having seen the movie, it is the height difference you between saw the two it? of the machine. I saw it yesterday morning at the New York Film Festival. I think that might be part of the point because of the age difference. Is my suspicion is that right? Yeah, yeah, he towers over her because Kaylee Spanny, the actress who plays Priscilla, is like five foot one. Oh my god! And he is six foot seven. <laughs> that nice. is a height difference that almost never exists between two adults. Yeah, yeah that is a strictly NBA yes. height difference. Yeah, uh, I wanted to bring that uh, up the football thing as our kind of segue out of here. So this is going to come out on Monday. Um, so if you're hearing this the first day it comes out, you know, yesterday, big day in the NFL. Rather than give predictions for people to like bet on and stuff, I think the uh, Bills are going to win. Probably oh, easy, easy. That's part of what I'm going to say. Oh, I, really? Absolutely. Tomorrow, wow. this will come out the day after, so we're going to date ourselves and hopefully be right here. Bills are playing the Jags tomorrow, but it's in London, which is super weird. My brother's going to the game. <laughs> are you serious? Yeah. That is so sick. Oh my god, those <laughs> fucking English people are finally going to learn what football is. Yeah. Um. So they are five and a half points. 
favored. Uh, the Jacks have been in London for two weeks, which is big, but the Bills are just on a roll right now. They're going to smash him, and the Jags, look, Steezy Trev is a good quarterback, but uh, it's kind of a fraudulent team. My actual picks for this week, though, and so if I'm wrong about all of these, you will be able to make fun of me all you want, but I'm predicting I at least go three and two here. New Orleans plus one at New England. Cincinnati minus three at Arizona. Philly minus four and a half at the Rams. Kansas City minus four at Minnesota. Houston plus one and a half at Atlanta. That's right. The Texans are fucking real. Uh, the Bills, I didn't put that in. I didn't bet on that because like the London thing, the 5.5, I don't know. They're going to win though. If you're betting money line, it's fucking Bills all the way. Um, so hopefully I got all of those right and I'm a I'm like eight dollars richer because I bet in very small increments. Yes. Okay. So that was uh extended clip New York, everybody. A little bit of everything, a little bit of lifestyle podcasting, sports podcasting, uh, you know, the local flavor and your usual extended clip shenanigans. Um, this has been a blast. Hessa, Nick. You are just two of my favorite people and uh, couldn't be uh, more happy to have you guys be uh, the the guest co-hosts on this episode of Extended Clip. Well, thank you. Yeah, I think I, you know, I can't speak for Nick, but you're one of my favorite people oh, as well. So nice. <laughs> Nick, look, if I'm top 50, I'm cool. Top 50? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, good. All right, that's all I needed. <laughs> um, that's all, everybody. Goodbye. And here's a song by, I don't know, a New York band that I'll put in after. About it. It's
At first you rise in position And then you shatter your frame And then you stretch your resistance Until your mind is slips away And once you forget your affection For the human race Reduce yourself to a zero Baby, then you'll fall right in place Could talk yourself two times Could talk yourself three times <laughs> 